Welcome to the Penny Bloom Podcast. Ain't another place that has got more bombast. Rump past your mom, dad's listening to Tomcast. Talking everything that make you sad. We don't want that. We're here to make you smile. Put your mind at ease. Peace, love, and bloom, and always praise Keanu Reeves. This what we about. Get some weed and now. We'll talk until we can't no more, and then we peace and out. Alright, let's go. Penny Bloom Podcast. It's the Penny Bloom Podcast. Penny Bloom Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to Winter is Blooming, a Game of Thrones rewatch podcast by us, the Penny Bloom podcast. After a week off last week, our first Monday off for TV television coverage since Westworld season four's premiere, by the way. So been a been a long time coming, but we had to take a little break last week and we are back for season four, episode one of Game of Thrones titled Two Swords, written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, uh, D&D, of course, and directed by one of the D's, D.B. Weiss. And uh, we got a goodie for us today. We got a goodie. I am Colton Robertson and I'm joined by Joseph George. What's up, homie? What up, what up? Always a pleasure to be here, and man, am I ready to start season four of oh, Game of Thrones. Oh, boy. This is, oh, yeah. this is a special type of season. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, it's a different breed. You know, we already, it's already considered one of the greatest shows of all time at this point. After three seasons, you go, okay, this is, this is fucking good. The way this season elevates it is just ungodly. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it's just like the premiere like they focused very heavily on it, but if it's like this the whole season cuz like I don't know, I I remember like the events and stuff that happened, but I guess I don't really remember how well each season was made or like I I can't really like speak to like I if you ask me like what was the best critical season of the show, I I I wouldn't really know. Like I wouldn't really have much to go off of. Um but it just, I mean this one episode, I mean, this premiere was like, I don't even know how they could step it up from the last three seasons and like season three, because season three, they, like season three was really good and yeah. they found their stride. They, they they know what show they were making. It was like, it was banging on a, on a, every cylinder. But now, I don't know, it was, maybe it was just how stacked this episode was. Like we literally probably checked in on, I don't know how, I guess, do we have every location, like Eight, uh, or I guess maybe it was not that many locations, but just only five. But we don't have many locations at the moment because the war has kind of come to an oh, end. Oh, yeah, uh, that's right. Oh, whole, the war has come to an end. Out. We're not, uh, we're not over in Essos beyond uh, Slaver's Bay with Marine. Um, Let's see. Mm. Um, okay. Yeah. We don't go beyond the wall at all, so there is still one location that we had we didn't check in on here. Uh, we didn't see Bran. Um, That's right. Wow. Okay. Oh, isn't he only in like a couple episodes this season? Yeah, I can't remember if it's season four that he misses out on, or if it's season five. It's season four, I believe. But uh, then he just yeah, back no- grown up as hell. Yeah, he he started hitting puberty, and they were like, "We're just gonna have to write this off as you being gone for a long time, buddy, because uh, you look different." And they all, they all you saw a lot of growing up here, you know, like that was uh, 
to be oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, he's only in four episodes in season four, and he's in five episodes in season six. He's wow. not in season five. Yeah, um, okay, so so not this season. We'll still no, get a little bit. But uh, yeah, so like you, you see a lot of them sprout up quite substantially. You know, uh, even Sophie Turner, it, it looks a little bit more matured. Uh, mm-hmm. Macy Williams, sure as shit, looks older. Um, the everybody, Kit Harrington kind of feels like he's finally a grown up. You know, he's always been a grown up, but like he, he looks the part now. Oh um, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. The, everyone is. I guess maybe that's that's what it is on rewatch as well. Is everyone is like hitting their, not their peak, but like their real part of the role i don't know like i don't know how to explain it it's like they were doing great before but like now it's like like john snow now i am like i'm kind of like on board like now like i feel like first time i was watching this is when i first developed a crush on john i feel like this is when you start to really like him um but man yeah i don't know this also talk like a wildling Mm. the free folk Man. I ate with the wildlands. I drank with the wildlands. I climbed the wall with the wildlands. Dude, he, he told the truth straight up. Everything didn't hide a piece of shit. Dano Slint. <laughs> Was that? Haven't the, seen him in a while. Uh, is that the the? He's the guy that guy Tyrion from City. Yeah, from King's yeah. Landing. He's like, oh, we yeah. must not be that good at your job. Stands up. Yeah, Tyrion like, sent him. He conspired to have Ned arrested with Littlefinger and stuff like that. Like that's a. Uh, Mm. Yeah, big old problem there but uh if mm. you are ready for it we can go ahead and dive in starting in king's landing oh i'm i'm ready to go oh yeah let's, let's do it do it so tywin lannister we begin the episode in a uh, a cold open where we see ice be reforged into two separate swords uh two smaller swords uh and that was that was old netted netty boy's sword. It was sad to see it go, but the things these swords go on to do, it's very uh very satisfactory, I would say. And uh, mm. while uh while he watches the process, he tosses the sword's wolf pelt. I didn't realize that it was kept in a wolf pelt yeah. sort of scabbard. This was the and first he tosses time that, that on the too. fire. Man, I mean, because did you watch the? Uh... The recap, the season yeah, recap. The inside the episode, I didn't. I didn't. Well, no, not even that. The like the beginning. It was like season four, and it's like here's. Oh no, I did not. Um, because the recap it really focused on ice and like um, I don't know, like everywhere it's kind of been, and like I'm like, huh, I'm like interesting. It ends with Ned getting his head chopped off. Yeah, and it dripping and with like, blood. I yeah, assume. And I'm like, or... I'm like, huh, and then and then it opens with you know the melting of it. I'm like, Oh, I was like, no, I'm like, I probably would have realized it was ice and all the stuff before, but having that recap just right before. Well, and there's like, this weird, it like it's not respect. Obviously Taiwan's immensely disrespectful. Yeah. But almost celebratory. Now yeah. that he feels the Starks are no longer even a viable threat. What, what, like, what was he keeping the sword around for in the first place anyway? You know, like, that's what I'm curious about. You know, like, uh. Yeah, Rob didn't, I guess, Rob didn't have it at all. It was always that King, cause it's what chopped off Ned's it's head. What, it's what chopped off Ned's head. He's, he's had it the whole fucking time. So, like, that's is. why I'm like, I wonder, I wonder if he was just holding on to it until the, it was like the, 
the bottle of champagne he'd, he'd been holding on to for years, waiting to pop open as soon as like uh, as soon as something big happened. It was just like, well, whenever the war is over, I'll melt ice down and I'll I'll turn it into two separate swords. And like, I don't know. Like, I just thought it was an interesting choice. I feel like there is a little bit of respect there, like just for the like it's a family sword. He's all about family. You know, and obviously this isn't his family whatsoever, but like... So it's just the very idea. Yeah, uh, maybe. As long maybe, as Rob Stark was alive. Maybe he just hasn't gotten around to it. You know, he's like very right. occupied otherwise. And he's like, all right, now, now that my son's back, you know, I can make him a sword. And does he, who, who keeps, does he just keep the other one? I forgot where the other one goes to. Uh, like, Joffrey. Oh. Joffrey yeah. gets the other one. It becomes Heartsbane. That's and, right. Uh, okay. Well, at least Jamie gets one of them, you know. Like that's or no know. heart eater, I think is what he calls it. That's what he uh, names it. Oh, yeah. I think man. Heartsbane is the uh, Tarly family sword, if I remember correctly. But does, uh, ever, does he ever even? No, like, he doesn't does get to use it. He dies next week. He drop blood. Yeah, whatsoever. Like does that sword get used? He at talks all? a bunch of shit with it next week. He cuts up a book that Tyrion gifts him. Uh. But it never. Widow's Veil. Apparently, I, I maybe that's. Oh, really that's right. Wow, I don't remember that whatsoever. Um, I guess how forgettable Joffrey and his, you know, achievements yeah. in air quotes are. Um, all this maybe stuff Heart that's... Eater was one he was considering. I don't know. I feel like there's a sword named Heart Eater sometime. Yeah. Well, that, uh, that sounds familiar. But Jamie's becomes Oath Keeper mm. because of Brienne of Tarth. Um. I can't remember if it just... Yeah, Heart Eater is the name Joffrey Baratheon gives the new sword he carries into the Battle of Blackwater. Ah, I see. So he already had a sword named Heart Eater. Okay, I see. That's why it was fresh on the mind. But regardless, we see it melted down and forged into a new a new couple of swords, and he present, uh, Tywin presents one of the swords to Jamie as a gift. And Jamie is quite impressed, given that he didn't think that Valyrian steel was even still forged, and he informs him that he wasn't. It was melted down from someone who, quote-unquote, no longer needed it. And uh, that's when Jamie's like, ah, I see. Okay, I get it. I no get interesting it. detail of one of three people alive that still know how to, like, work. Not even, like, forge. Make a new Valyrian steel sword, but mm -hmm. just rework something that's already existed. Like, that's gone. You, you can't even make a new Valyrian steel sword. You know, that's just... Yeah, I had like, to hire someone from Volantis. Yeah. And, I mean, pretty sick opening scene, you know, but also at the same time, it's like, oh, yeah, that the Starks are, did just get wiped out. And, yeah. oh, yeah, that did chop off Ned's head. And it was like, it's a lot of... Why stuff like this is why I can't be mad at the end of this show. You know, like the real end of this show. Um, because like everyone, this is the Starks are counted out. They're, they no longer hold the North. Sansa's a Lannister now. Arya's missing. Nobody knows where she's at. Uh, John is a fucking, uh, mm. Night's Watchman. Rob is dead. Catelyn's dead. And they don't know where Bran or, uh, Rickon are. So they're just, uh, they, everyone thinks they're dead. Um, yeah, that's true. I mean, so like everyone thinks the Starks are fucking gone. You know, they are no longer 
a threat. And then at the end of the show, a Stark is the king. The North is emancipated with Sansa as queen in the North. Arya's going off to set sail and find what's west of Westeros and Jon's heading north beyond the wall. Happy as can be. You know, so it's like, yeah. how can I be mad at the ending the Sarks get? You know, like that's mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, for they, the family, man. We heard the story from Cersei, I'm pretty sure, of like the reigns of Castamere. And like it was, this is probably like, not to the same level, because I guess they wiped out, like, an entire castle. And Well, I don't know. Winterfell kind of got wiped out, too, but not by them. But, like, it's – you have the idea that House Lannister just – they wipe out the competition, you know? It's like if, if anyone's coming up to them, they're just going to kill them all if, if they're a problem. And, like, on this rewatch, I'm like, wow. Like, yeah, the Starks are down bad right now. Like, they are not doing well. And then you check in with all of them. Sansa's a complete mess, you know? And, like – Arya and John are still handling their own, but like they they still have that in the background. They're like, "Oh my god, I can't believe that this just you know like you get mm. all like checking in with them and like seeing them deal with the news for the yeah. first time. How different they all are about it, you know." Um, but yeah, I just this episode was was a it 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 got my excitement f- all back for Thrones. Um, oh, that's yeah. Like, I've been, I don't know, it's been, I've been missing Thrones a little bit, but this was, this was a very, very nice way to get back into it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, uh, upon gifting him one half of ice, Tywin, uh, tells him that he's wanting to relieve Jamie of his duty so he can return to Casterly Rock and reassume the position as his heir. And Jamie's like, nah, no. Not going to do that. He said, I, it's not a question. He said, but that's my answer. Uh, like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to fucking do that. Uh, and he's like, uh, what do you want? You know? And he's like, you know what he wants to say? You know, he's like, I want to, I want to be with fucking Cersei. That's what I, that's what I want. But he goes, supper would be nice. Um, fair enough. Yeah. Um, And, uh, (laughs) but he ultimately tells Jamie he can keep the sword anyway. A man with one hand and no family. We'll need it. Um, Eesh. Yeah, that's... I don't know, he's like, my... Uh, Jamie is such an interesting character to me on this rewatch. Like, I've been mm-hmm. focusing on him a whole lot more. And it's, I guess, I don't really want to think of the future at all. Just right now, I'm really I'm really liking him. Um, oh, he's, a, he's, a, he's been a stand-up guy for the last season. Yeah. He's, a, he's getting better. It was the first episode where I was kind of, like, icked out by the brother and sister love here i don't know like i i, I was I, the first one yeah yeah i've been i've been like on a on a jamie kind of high road like yeah i want to see this man just kind of do everything good right now but then like when he actually got back and and talks with cersei this is the first kind of icky feeling that i had um ever well, since and gone off. We, yeah we'll, we'll get there because i'm like I, i've got plenty to say about that but uh mm. it'll be a little bit down the line but uh, mm-hmm. nevertheless Lannister, Braun, and Podrick Payne wait on a road outside the city for the arrival of Prince Doran Martell of Dorne, who has been invited to the royal wedding. And Tyrion quizzes Braun on the sigils of the Dornish houses, none of which he's aware of. However, Podrick answers every single one perfectly. Uh, Lord Blackmont approaches them on horseback and says Prince Doran is in poor health and remained at Sunspear. However, he sent his brother, Prince Oberyn. And he will be attending the wedding in his stead. And mm. uh, he's like, so where is this Prince Oberyn? 
He arrived before dawn. He's not one for these sorts of affairs. And Tyrion's like, motherfucker, all right, yep, this has just been a massive waste of my time. Uh, but uh, assigning the reception of the Dornish Lords to the City Watch, Tyrion says they should find Oberyn as soon as possible before he kills somebody or several somebodies. Uh, They're really building him up, too, before, like, he's not even on screen yet whatsoever. I know, you know, he's coming. I know Pedro. Like, I'm I'm fully ready. But, like, this buildup of making him, like, yeah, no, he's not really one for this, and, like, he doesn't even really care about this whatsoever. Mm. Um, You know, the, yeah, he'll send his second son, whatever. I, I I, hope the king will be, you know, pleased. And they're like, all right, whatever. Like, everyone is from Dorne is just, I don't know. Dorne would, I would live in Dorne. I feel oh, like yeah. if I had less Dorne rest. would be ideal. Um, Dorne would be pretty sick. No, I'd say this is the best character introduction in the show besides maybe Olenna. Uh, Elena Tyrell, just like the first time you meet her, you're like, oh, okay. Like, you immediately get what she's about. You immediately get the vibes you're supposed to get off her. You get the same thing from Oberyn here mm-hmm. in the next scene, where uh, Prince Oberyn and his uh, his paramour, Alaria Sand, are examining prostitutes in a brothel owned by Peter Baelish. Uh, whatever uh, fucking Braun is like, where do you think we're supposed to, we're going to find him? And Tyrion's like, well... If you're known for fat when you're known you're uh, when you're known for fucking half the country, where would you start? Uh, I go to bed, but I'm just getting old, you know. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> Love Braun, but yeah, that Tyrion, you know, not his diplomacy wasn't very, you know, he still got to work on that a little bit. But I guess there's, all, just, there's already he did just his a best, very though. awkward tension between the houses, you know. He, like, what was he really gonna do? Try to be real gonna, nice and be yeah. nothing but nice, but uh, they they just kind of shunned him away uh but but yeah no uh this i don't know he 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 knows people you know mm. he he knows he knows what they're gonna be doing absolutely um, uh and they i don't know they do find him there they they were right they were um, right yeah they had to uh, we had to a brothel where oberon and Ilaria are examining prostitutes managed by oliver who we saw uh have mm-hmm. relations with Renly, I or no, mm-hmm. Loris, Loris Tyrell. That's right. Earlier, yeah, yeah. In the, uh, earlier in the show, and as uh, yeah, Lord Baelish is now in the Vale, so someone has to manage his properties. Um, and they choose the contortionist, Mare, who uh, they're like, "You're not shy at all, are you?" And uh, she immediately stretches out in a way that seems uh, inhuman, and they're like, "Baller." This is the one. Let's do the shit. Uh, and Oberon dismisses the rest of them, except for Oliver. Uh, he's like, uh, you take off your clothes. He's like, I'm afraid I'm I'm not for sale, my lord. And uh, he's like, oh, I think you are. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. You can take. You ever been with the prince? Come fuck with the woo. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, all right. Yep. Like, I mean, yep, how do you Oberon Tot. like, how do you say no? Dude, fuck no. Uh, yeah, Oberyn is sexy. That's that's a fucking fine motherfucker right there. Uh, I mean, and this deep. is like what's funny is this was almost ten years ago now, probably filmed ten years ago, and uh, Pedro Pascal is an objectively attractive human being. I mm-hmm. would say. Um, but I don't think he's he's ever been as hot as he is here as Prince Oberyn. That's a that's a is that's this a his hottest role? Is it, yeah, is I got it, I gotta I, guess so. 
Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's going to be hard to beat because this was episode one, and this was mm-hmm. the opening of the episode, and I was like, well, goddamn, I don't know how I'm going to give anyone else the character or perform. <laughs> you know, like it, it, the performance is just like a, I'm going back and forth because like I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm giving him the character no matter what. Like I, yeah, like so am I. It's, it's like without a doubt. Um, but maybe I'll just talk through the other scenes to make sure that I want to go him with performance. Uh, like we'll only get him this season, and I he absolutely killed the opening. Oh um, yeah, there are a few characters who are in the show for such a short amount of time that are as memorable as Oberyn Martell. This guy, he makes his impact. Mm. In uh, he's dead in episode seven of season four. Wow! Like that's yeah, that's when he fights it the, is the seven that's... episode run that he's a part of. That's actually crazy that we get all the way there. Um, I don't know you get the. We definitely get, I don't know, like, as far as just introducing him and, like, showing his personality was, like, was great. You know, we have, I guess we haven't even really gotten to, like, the good stuff of him. Yet, no, you know? no, just so, how attractive he was in this yeah. opening scene. So, Oberyn is infuriated upon hearing men in a different room seeing the reigns of Castamere. And he confronts mm. the two Lannister soldiers who insult him and Ilaria and... Oberon moves closer and chastises them for being pink little men who are far too slow on the draw <laughs> rather than being golden lions. And when one of the soldiers reaches for his broad st- broadsword, Oberon quickly stabs him through the wrist with a dagger and tells the other that his friend will only live if he gets immediate help. And uh, at this moment, Tyrion and Bronn enter and Oberon and Tyrion step outside to speak privately. Wherein Oberyn says he wants revenge for the murder of his niece Rhaenys, his nephew Aegon, and the rape and murder of his sister Elia during the sack of King's Landing by Lannister's troops during Robert's Rebellion. And specifically, he wants Gregor Clegane, the Mountain, who murdered Elia, and Tywin, who Oberyn believes gave the order to be killed. Mm. Yeah, he was owning this. This this was... And right after this, almost my favorite line, and it might actually be, um, like he's talking with Tyrion right now about all this stuff, or or not quite yet. I don't want to jump the gun, I guess. No, yeah, yeah, that's um, where we're at. So, that's where we're at. And, and, but he tells him, he's like, "Tell your father that I'm here." You know, that's my favorite line. Looks off, and oh, you're actually going with it. Yeah, okay, that's then, my favorite then, line. Then, then good, because I, I had a I had a second one uh, because oh, I, baller, it's baller. it's uh, it's very short and sweet. And I just wanted to bring attention to it. So, okay, glad. I'll, I'll bet. Yeah, my favorite line was definitely "Tell your father I'm here, and tell him the Lannisters aren't the only ones that pay Man. their debts." He's gonna get a clean, a, not maybe a clean sweep, but I mean, he's getting a lot of the nods this episode. Um, see, I mean, yeah, he he came in and made his presence known. Yeah, for sure. Very quickly and immediately, a fan favorite for like when you're watching this for the first time you're automatically like, all right, well, this dude's a lot cooler than a lot of the other people just based off his sexual freedom and being like, I'm going to, I'm going to do what I want, be with whoever I Mm -hmm. want, be me. Uh, I arrive before dawn. I'm not one for greeting parties. You know, he's doing his thing. Uh, But then he's like, I want to kill the mountain and I want to kill Tywin. And you're like, okay, yep. This is the fucking guy. We like this guy. Uh, (laughs) And and also like the way he talks to like the Lannister guards as well was like just super, like finally someone telling him like i bet you're all like nice pampered up in this cat you know i don't know like i bet mm-hmm. like people, like king's landing just sucks you know and anyone that is away and aware of that is like 
very nice to see, you know, like, well, and there's a couple examples of this in this episode. This kind of parallels what Arya and the Hound do later in the episode where Lannister soldiers are real high and mighty. They feel like they can't be touched there. Nobody's against them at the moment or so they think, uh, but guys like Oberyn, guys like the Hound, people like Arya, they're there to remind them, Hey, uh, y'all ain't safe. You know, uh, the way he's like, uh, your friend's going to bleed and bleed fast. You know, uh, there's so many veins in the wrist and I just, put a hole straight through. he's like, yeah. what are you going to do? He's, he's got like, that sick little, he's got that sick little Joel smile from the last of us where he's got like the, he's like torturing the guy and he's like, yeah, what you going to do, buddy? Any way it goes is beneficial for him because he, he like he can take him. He's not worried about dying here. He like even if this buddy decides not to save his friend and go attack, mm-hmm. him, he's like even better. I get to kill a Lannister now, you know, like full on probably. Um, but he knows he knows they're they're gonna puss out and yeah, you know, go get help. Um, and it, I love the like. A, a long sword, such a bad weapon in close quarters, you know? Yeah, like, he's like, y'all can't, y'all ain't gonna fuck with me like that. You know, like, Bronze like that, and I love how, like, Bron had, like, a little, like, back and forth with Oberyn, and, and you could tell that Oberyn was kind of like, hmm, this guy's kind of cool, you know, like, yeah. um, whenever he's like, oh yeah, are you, are you his cell sword or whatever? He's like, yeah, that's what I started out as, um, pretty much, and he's like, well, how, and I'm a knight now, and he's like, well, how did you do that? And he's like, I killed the right people, I guess, you know? And then <laughs> Oberyn was like, all right, you know? You, you know what I fuck with right. you, dog. Um, but yeah, no, Oberyn was... I, I mean, I'll, I'll have to soft go with him for the performance right now, but, I mean, it's it's uh, probably like a 90%. He, he got a clean sweep out of me in that regard. He got both my character and performance. I think that Pedro Pascal immediately came in. And, you know, there there are other options in this episode, to be sure. I think there's a few good performances to go around. A sleeper for me is Sophie Turner in the next scene. I think she did mm. incredible. Uh, yeah. Once again, um, Kit Harrington does wonderful. Uh, I, I, again, almost went with Lena Headey because she's, she's amazing. Like, there's just, there's so many great performances across this episode where, like, we're at a point now with the show where you can kind of go with anybody and all of it's going to be believable. I'm never going to be like, Oh really interesting. I'm going to be like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, they're mm-hmm. it, across the board. Everyone's firing on all cylinders. It's, it's been impeccable, but uh yeah, I had to go Pedro Pascal just because uh he, like I said, for the same stuff as the character, he immediately made his presence felt. It was a, a noticeably instantly likable character, which doesn't happen a lot in this show, you know? And yeah, I said Olena was the other like instant like you met her and you're like, oh, yeah, that's like the only other one I can think of besides Ned, you know, where you you meet them and you're immediately taken with them. You're like, OK, yeah, that's 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 a good guy. That's a good person. Uh, that's true. Yeah, not that's very rare in the show. Mm. Um, yeah, no, he this was kind of his episode and I'm glad they started out, you know, early on with it. Um, mm. like pretty much right after ice is melted down or whatever, we get right into right um, over. Yeah. So and, that uh, knocked out my character performance in line, uh, which leaves yeah. nothing but my scene. And frankly, I only gave the scene to something else to spread the love. Um, I was <laughs> like, this, this would have gotten the clean sweep from me if, uh, if there wasn't another scene that was just so obviously it, you know, but, uh, mm. Mm-hmm. Later on, Tyrion, Sansa, Shay, and another handmaiden are sitting in a garden, and Sansa is still distraught over the uh, deaths of her brother and mother. 
and Tyrion attempts to console his wife but fails uh, approaching and asking if he can have a moment alone with his wife and as Shay is about to walk away she goes she needs to eat and uh, she walks away and turns around to see Tyrion holding her hand and you know we're getting the bitterness the bitterness for sure but uh, Tyrion attempts to console her and Sansa has heard the gruesome details of the Red Wedding, how the corpses of her mother and brother were desecrated. Uh, his wolf's head was sewn onto his body. Her throat was cut and she was thrown in the river. And uh, Sansa's like, yep, I'm going to head to the godswood. That's enough for me today. Yep. And uh, she's like, I, I, and Tyrion's like, I hear pray can help. You know, I, so I've heard. I don't know. I don't do it a lot. Uh, and she's like, I don't go there to pray. It's the only place where nobody talks to me. I don't pray anymore. Yeah. And, I, you know, they they kind of played it a little way where Tyrion, like, was obvious. Like, she wasn't, she didn't care about anything Tyrion was saying. But then whenever he started talking about, like, I, I didn't know your brother. I can't really speak on him. But your mother, like, I admired her. You know, like, he actually mm -hmm. said some good words. And Yeah, he did. But it doesn't matter. You know, coming no. from the family you know, she, she like there's nothing that Sansa can do like right no. now. And that's what's that's what's cool about the relationship that Tyrion has formed with Sansa, though, is that like while Sansa is never going to like him or love him, even she knows that he doesn't want to hurt her. You know, he, she yeah. knows that it wasn't him who made this order. She knows it wasn't him who wanted this or is okay with this she knows he's opposed to that general idea but she still can't she's still just like i can't it doesn't fucking matter man like she's done with everything at this point she's in a deep 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 pit of depression man like this yeah. is uh not even eating their lemon cakes you know that's she loves like, lemon cakes they, they made a you know they made a point of that i'm pretty sure that's that's how olena was introduced she was like or maybe that was a little later like maybe like her second scene like getting sansa some lemon cakes like i yeah. heard these are your favorite or whatever and and now yeah not even eating those not and, even eating them and ah uh, but yeah this it was i, I kind of thought like for a second i'm like oh she's actually kind of like opening up to Tyrion, and then she's like yeah, no, it's just the only place where nobody talks to me. See you later. I just want to get out of here. And maybe it was a little bit of, like, one, she just doesn't want to hear it from anybody right now. But two, it was, like, maybe she, Tyrion did say something that actually kind of hit her. Like, that's probably the first time anyone has talked about, like, her mother like that to her. In a respectful in, way in King's like, Landing. I think it kind of, like, hit her, and she was like, oh, she was like, man. Like, now, now I got to go think of my mom, you know, and I just don't want to do it here with you yeah. but like it kind of like thank you for that but also not i don't know it was kind of like Just leave a, me alone you know yeah. yeah um but man what a interesting dynamic they have going on like that's just mm. that's rough and it becomes all the more interesting when Tyrion returns to his chambers to find shay in his bed a risky move on shay's part given that uh i'm very certain sansa and Tyrion share quarters um I don't, yeah. I don't think they necessarily sleep in the same bed or anything, but, uh, hmm. yeah, I guess I didn't think about that. Um, like yeah, is Shay being that reckless or is it just, I think she is. Yeah. Cause she really wants to test. This is like her test, you know, yeah, that's what I thought. She's, um, yeah, I guess I didn't think if they do sleep in the same room or not, I would imagine so. Yeah, I feel like they have to, like, maintain appearances for, like, the castle or whatever. But, like, uh, yeah. 
That's what that's that was my only speculation was like, I think Shay is being uh, she's testing the waters hard because if it's Sansa who returns to the room, she's absolutely she's fucked. You know, that's that's it. Um, but maybe yeah. they're making a point about how well Shay knows Sansa and she knew she would go somewhere else. She wouldn't return to the room, et cetera. Like there's there's also that factor where Shay does care about Sansa deeply and doesn't want to hurt her or anything. Um so there's there's a there's a balance there, but regardless, uh, Tyrion scolds her for her actions here, as no one can find out about their relationship, and she adem- she attempts to seduce him, uh, you know, and he's like, uh, nope, can't. I like the the very literal action that happens here. Um, it's very very funny. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> the little like you could see him like pull away and it's like ah man it's like there's just too much going on he's like I, I he's like i'm just not in the mood you know i got i'm the hand you're a master of coin i got i got this going on i got this i got this person trying to kill me this person's trying to kill me the whole city's in disarray i don't even know what to think anymore and, and my yeah, wife fucking hates me and it's like i i don't know it's very hard to read Tyrion here because he 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 always doesn't give like a straight answer. She she'll ask, um, like, "Do you love Sansa?" You know, and, and she's like, "Oh my, Tyrion." He doesn't say no right away, but he's like, "She's a a a young girl. I, I mm-hmm. we haven't done. You know, we can't do anything. She hates my guts." And she's like, "That's not an answer." And he's like, "Obviously, I don't love her." You know, and like he like always is kind of going around a couple places, but then. Like, whenever she asks, like, real questions about their relationship, you know, like, do you want me to stay, you know? Um, and he's just, like, frozen. He doesn't know what to do. Um, and I, I don't know. Like, this is, I guess, um, it mirrors another, um, like, with Jamie and, and uh, Cersei in the scene. You know, like, another, hey, we're like, we're back. We can finally have sex. Why aren't we having sex sort of thing, you know? And it's like, well, things have changed, you know? Like, and it's, um, this one was, I guess, I don't know. I wasn't, I, I, the Jamie and Cersei one, I was a little more like, oh, come on, Cersei. Like, come on. Like, what the fuck are you, what are you on about? But like, uh, Shay is like rightfully like getting pissed off here, you know? Mm. Like, uh, like I was kind of like, sh- like, she is testing the waters here and doing some very risky stuff, but like they are actually married. Um, like they, they had their own ceremony, you know, like, I don't know. And like, this is, it's just knowing where she goes, you know, and what she does that like, mm. doesn't, I don't know. Like I can't, yeah, it's like, man, like, but I don't know. I understand. Like this was a good, like necessary scene to kind of like remind like, Oh yeah. Like Tyrion is still, you know, like, Married to, you know, like, this is, it's just a, a complicated mess that Tyrion has to kind of mm. work around. Um, but, man, yeah, this, the, the, I'm just not in the mood, you know, like, I feel like Tyrion wanted to. I don't know, like, do, do you think he actually wanted to here, or? Oh, or like yeah, he- I think there's, there's this thing about Tyrion where he's, in his own way, very honor-bound, you know, and, like, I'd be willing to bet they haven't done anything since he got married. You know, uh, like it's, it's just, uh, he, he can't bring himself to do that just because it would be, I think he also, it's not just out of like an honor 
like code thing. It's out. It's for Shay. He's like, if I get caught doing this, my father will kill you. That's that true. is a guarantee. My father will murder you. Um, this is true. Yeah. Yeah, man. What a world. They have to like, just wow. Like, poor, I don't know. Just what, what's the line from, uh, oh my God, it was just a, a Wes Anderson movie that, yeah. Moonrise kingdom. We love each other. We just want to be together. What's so wrong with that? Yeah. Right. It's, it's just a lot more complicated here, you know, than, yeah. than just some young love. This, this Very is a little different more over across the narrow yeah. sea. Yeah, a little more uh, complications on this one. Um. <laughs> yeah, just a few. But uh, yeah, nevertheless, she accuses him of trying to bribe her with diamonds and a ship uh, to get her away from uh, away from him. But he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And uh, she asks him, don't deny it. You know what? So you're saying you don't want me to leave? And he remains silent. Uh, but she, that's the thing. He doesn't want her to leave for the reasons she, she thinks he wants yeah. him to leave. Not because he doesn't love her and that he doesn't actually like her. Just out of her own safety and protect. You know, it's like. Yeah, it would be better for your livelihood if you left. Uh, yeah. How do you balance that? You know, that that's. Honestly, that's probably harder to balance than Master of Coin, right? Stuff for King's Landing. You know, this this is actually the this is probably the most stressful thing on his plate. <laughs> yeah, this this is rough, Ed. and it, he does remain silent for that reason. You know, he's like, I, I obviously want you to stay, and that's like, if if I could be the king and make the world my own, you know, make all the decisions and not have to worry about this, yeah, for sure. But like this, it's like how. How does he even begin to say to say that, you know, to her? That he wants her to leave, but he can't go with her because he is Tyrion Lannister and he is master of coin and like I feel like that's the thing is that it's just not gonna happen because he's done everything he can to try and articulate that. You know, like he has he's yeah. made that attempt and it's just not it's just not connecting. It's 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 not good. But uh Regardless, she leaves the room angrily and is spotted by a handmaiden named Bernadette, who is hiding behind a pillar and has overheard their conversation. But uh, we next go to Jamie, Cersei, and Kyburn in Cersei's chambers, where Cersei has had a golden prosthetic hand made for Jamie, and Kyburn attaches it to Jamie's uh, severed limb and. Uh, Kyburn asks Cersei about her symptoms and she says that they are gone. And uh after Kyburn departs, Jamie tells her that he will stay in King's in the King's Guard with one hand just so he can stay close to her. Uh and I I love the little bit where uh Cersei's like uh grown quite fond of that man. You know? I like I like him. He's dope. He's a dope yeah. dude. I like him. And it makes sense because I mean, he becomes her hand. Um he is the hand of the oh, queen. Wow. Really? Uh, whenever I'm, she's, I was thinking, I'm like, oh, he's not a maester, and he's like, and he makes that point known. He's like, yeah, not a maester, but thank you, you know. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I remember, like, he's on her squad, you know, but I forgot what he becomes. But yeah, that's wow. Yeah, I didn't he's, know he the, he's the hand of the queen. Um, okay. Um. Hmm. Yeah. It, she. I don't know. She knows. 
she knows her people and she the more kind of fucked up you are yeah and he uh, was like you're fucking for real that guy you know like uh you didn't even let Pycelle touch you ever uh he said symptoms what symptoms are you talking about Do you think Cersei's endeavors with other men resulted in her becoming pregnant? Actually, it. I can't think of anything else it would have been like uh, for it to be mentioned and to be kind of sidelined like uh, for her to be like, it's nothing. Don't even fucking worry about it. You know, like uh, and then it's even implied later on in the uh, in the scene that she has been with other men, which we knew we uh. We saw her with uh, the cousin, uh, Lancel. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. This is true. Is she? I forgot. Does she act like? Is that a story element? Like it later? Like? No. Actually... Like it, it doesn't come back around. If that's the case, whatever they're talking about here, the symptoms. I don't think that comes up again. Hmm. I'm like, I don't remember. Like, I don't feel like at the end of season three, she was like ill. Or anything, you know, like I to to mention it at all. I don't know if it's like it's just supposed to key you in to Kyburn and Cersei kind of mm. bonded a little bit to like they've gotten to know each other. She's already been treated by him, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but for her to shut Jamie down when he asks her about the symptoms feels a little bit more like, oh, there's something there's something, yeah. you know. Okay. Um, yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, no, that's I mean, it does doesn't ultimately matter but uh regardless i just thought it was an interesting little detail and the uh and jamie after saying he's gonna stay for her and to stay close to her to live in the red keep he tries to kiss her uh, but she turns away much to jamie's confusion and anger and when she gets up and walks away he goes something's changed fucking does something's changed you've been gone for a year and a half i know it wasn't necessarily your fault homie but things were gonna change after that long of a time don't act like things haven't changed for you uh I guess how long was he gone for i like, uh, gotta was, be at least a year um yeah i mean it was quite some time but like you gotta like you gotta he was i think he got captured at the beginning of season two and didn't get back until wow. the end of okay. season three yeah but they, that's the thing they've been like together their whole life you know like literally their whole life as they were you know and they grew up and they're like yeah we we obviously like each other more than normal here and then he's gone for a year and then she like i don't know like he, he, he i feel like i was kind of i didn't remember cersei having this reaction uh, at oh. first and, and and I was kind of like I'm like wait a, like really she does go here like this, this is, is a big goes? reason why I like I've been conflicted and I've talked about how Jamie ultimately gets the ending he deserves and stuff but the thing is is that from here on Cersei doesn't show this man an like an iota of respect or love wow and he just kind of holds on to it for dear fucking life you know, like, uh, wow, yeah, that's huh. until he ultimately decides to leave. And you're like, ah, redemption. Finally, uh, he's moved on. Um, hmm. no. And I guess uh, Cersei is very, you know, he's like, you're drinking a lot more, you know, now. 
and he, like he's noticing like and that, that the icky part of me that I was like feeling is like their conversations were very brother and sister like was not yeah. lover conversations no. like whatsoever and then I'm like oh this is like I was like oh man they're like they're playing it perfect you know like yeah it's a bizarre bizarre dynamic you have to capture accurately and they feel like they're doing it pretty well um you know uh i but that's this part kind of keys into one of my favorite stories across the whole fucking thing which was ultimately jamie's moving on Mm. from cersei you know uh she's you you were speaking to the fact that like they've been together their whole lives and stuff, but that's, that's the, I think that's part of why they were ever together is just because they were always mm. together. They were always around each other. Okay. They were never yeah. apart. Uh, and like, that's what Cersei speaks to, you know, like we, we were born mm. together. We will, we will, we've lived together. We will die together, et cetera. But the moment that he's gone for an extended period of time, uh, mm she she's learned a lot about herself a lot has changed her uh son's a psychopath her daughter's been shipped away you know uh she's been with other men um and and, she just actually got to explore her you know like actually not be tied down to her brother because that's all it's all she's ever known and I guess um, and, that, did that, and, and then it works for Jamie too, where it makes sense that he was gone for so long and there's only one thing he's trying to get back to, you know, Cersei spent a lot of time being worried about Jamie, mm-hmm. but I don't know. There was, there came a point in season three where I feel like that stopped coming up, you know, um, yeah. it stopped being like a, when are we going to get Jamie back? And it just kind of became Jamie's gone. Like we don't even talk about it anymore. Dang. Yeah, that is that is true. And she she has all like the same kind of work like Tyrion was spitting off like how he has all this stuff going on and Cersei did the same, you know, she's like and now I I have to marry, you know, Loras. I have to do all of this. All of this is going on. It's just a shit show and and like oh yeah, what it, it was when he was gone and like she was like, "Oh, and, and my husband died, you know, Robert died." And Jamie was like, "Oh, I bet that was tragic for you you know like you were so devastated by that like the lines that they have were so good but it's crazy how they kept like kept it sibling like i don't know made it so obviously chemistry is bizarre to have um yeah it's i i didn't really okay i didn't really think of like cersei's side of it yeah it makes a whole lot more sense like yeah she like kind of in captivity herself as well mm. you know even though she's in king's Landing and can do whatever she wants she's like she hasn't really been able to do what she wants and like her power is getting like less and lessened um right. as as the time you know as time went on and i got yeah i don't know it does like because like jamie was taken back he's like what the f-? like this is not what i expected whatsoever you know like because he was thinking like he was going to come back and it was going to be like Oh my God! You're finally back, Jamie. You know now my our lives can continue. But now, and it's like no, actually I've been uh, I've been exploring and I'm with other men. You know it's like makes you know that's that is a long time to like hold on. And Jamie, the only reason he did is because he didn't have anyone other than Brienne. You know like and that was like that was just what kept him like going and like wanting to escape. Mm-hmm. Um, but Cersei, she had all of King's Landing at her disposal. Um, yeah, no, I, okay, I didn't, that's very, 
now that I'm like thinking through it. I don't know. I'm not really as as taken back by Cersei's reaction now. It makes a whole no. Lot yeah, sense. I think that it's. I think it's a fair reaction. You know, I think that Jamie's expectance for everything, like his shock, something's changed. It's like, yeah, something's like, changed, bro. Of course, something's changed. You've been gone for an extended period of time. Stuff changes. Uh, like stuff might not have changed for him. At least not consciously. There's an interaction with Brienne later that I think is interesting. Um, mm. but he, you know, he was longing to get back. He didn't want things to change, and get I get that idea, but like. I mean, you gotta you gotta know that things aren't going to be the exact same. You've been gone a very mm-hmm. long time. You can't just ease back into the life that you once had. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Bernadette then enters and says she has important information for Cersei. Um, we don't see what that uh, results in, but as preparations for the royal wedding continue, Marjorie Tyrell and her grandmother Olena are interrupted by Brienne of Tarth. Olena being mm-hmm. delighted to see the truth of the rumors about Brienne, who, uh, and Brienne requests a private word with Marjorie. And Brienne tells Marjorie the truth of Renly's death and vows to one day exact revenge on Stannis Baratheon, whom she holds responsible. And she says she will get, uh, revenge for their king. And she goes, Joffrey is our king now. And she's like, I didn't mean any offense, ma'am. I am so fucking sorry about that. <laughs> Damn. All right. Uh, and they walk past a statue of King Joffrey standing over a dead dire wolf commemorating yeah. the victory over I the love Marian. the Marjorie like not like wasn't gonna get the performance, but like I love the literal performance that she has to put on in the show as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like she's talking with Elena and she's like, Oh, let me just let Joffrey pick out my necklace and have dead sparrow heads all around it, you know, or whatever and, and then Elena's like, Be careful. You know, even with me, with no one, like, be careful about that. Um, and, like, we obviously know that Marjorie hates Joffrey's guts, but is just playing the game, you know, to get, get where they want to go. And then even with Brienne, she has to, like, put up that full, you know, full facade and be like, Joffrey's our king now. You know, <laughs> I love Joffrey. He's going to be my husband. And, like, and it's, it's such a fascinating, uh, like, inverse of what Sansa's had to go through where mm. hers is out of horror, like a uh, Joffrey's the King. Like, don't, don't say anything otherwise. Otherwise mm. I'm going to get hurt. I'm, I'm in pain. And Marjorie's like, Joffrey's the King. That's true. You know, yeah, like I'm saying it so that I get ahead, not, yeah. you know, like it's a, it's a, it's an interesting dichotomy between Marjorie and Sansa. Mm. Uh, but uh, elsewhere in the red keep, Jamie, Sir Marin Trant, and King Joffrey discuss security at the upcoming wedding, where Jamie is clearly irked by Joffrey's arrogance, as well as Marin's uh, sycophantic agreement with the king's bragging that he is responsible for keeping the people fed. And Jamie notes that this is more the doing of the Tyrells, and claiming that he single-handedly won the war. And Jamie points out that the war is far from won. Stannis is still alive and will probably raise a fresh army. And dismissive of the threat posed by Stannis following the Battle of the Blackwater, Joffrey leaves through the Book of Brothers, which details the history of the King's Guard and those who served in it. He reads Jamie's brief entry and sneers that someone must have forgotten to record all of his uncle's great deeds. And he also questions Jamie's ability to serve in the King's Guard with one hand. And Jamie oh. defensively quips that using his left hand makes for more of a challenge. 
man, I just, you know, you already hate Joffrey, and that's that's just a given. But like, whenever he is taking credit for all of these things, he's like, yeah, I see, I defeated Stannis, I broke Stannis at the Battle of Blackwater, and like knowing, you know, he just ran away and didn't yeah. do a thing, and then he's like, yeah, I killed like King Rob, you know, I got rid of that, you know, like I did that, and that's that's the thing, like in the history books, it will be written as you know, like that he did those things, but he's doing like nothing. Like, Mm-mm. dude has done nothing whatsoever, and it's yeah, crazy. Tywin, that, like, Tywin's done everything, you yeah. know? It's uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's hilarious. Well, and that's part of Tywin's objective, is to do everything and convince Joffrey that he's doing it. You mm-hmm. know, convince Joffrey that he's the one who's in power. Yeah. Uh, Man, it's just the the literal book, like, here got me to mm-hmm. think about, like, like are history books, you know, because, right. like, it is just stories that are being told over and over again, you know, and, like, who's to say that a king in real life didn't want to, you know, make himself look more kingly, and, like, I don't know, it's like, I wonder how much of our history is, like, just not even close to how right. it actually, right. you know, how it actually happened. Um, yeah, I'm just like, Joffrey, don't talk to your father that way. Yeah, and that, that was another weird thing. Your father, yeah, it uncle. Like, it's uh, like you, you want to feel bad for Jamie because he's like, ah, oh, now I'm gonna, I get to see my son. You know, I'm, I'm seeing my son nephew again. Um, and like, and then he just starts spitting at him and like disrespecting the fuck out of him. And it's like, well, I want to feel bad, but it's also like weird that I want to feel bad about it. And it's, it's like, I mean, it doesn't all matter because I hate Joffrey and like. I don't really care. I, I don't think there's any redemption. Like, there's no redemption that Jamie or anyone's going to get with him. Um, no. But, but I mean, I, he I, dies I, next episode. There was a weird feeling where it was like, um, it was just, I, like, be nice to your father. You well, know, well, like, that's, like, what's, that's what's uh, also interesting is that, like, to speak to Cersei's experience, she's been exposed to how sick of a fuck Joffrey is. Hmm. You know, Joffrey, while he was probably a piece of shit little kid, he wasn't the king of Westeros who had all sorts of terrible deeds he could now execute however he wanted. Uh, Jamie, for the first time, is witnessing just how shitty of a dude Joffrey is. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I guess Cersei had the only reminder, like, her pretty much only reminder of Jamie is Joffrey right now. I guess Tommen is... I mean, Tommen's there, but there, but yeah, not, but like pretty much the only reminder she has of Jamie is Joffrey. And that's probably another reason she was kind of like, okay, probably resent him for helping create such a terrible kid. Um, she loves her kid, but doesn't mean she's going to love the father of that kid for much longer, given the way that he is. Uh, but, uh, we got one more little thing in King's Landing where Sansa is praying alone in the Godswood, mm-hmm. and she's uh, she's watched by Jaime and Brienne, and Brienne expects Jaime to uphold his oath to return Catelyn Stark's daughter in return for his freedom. But Jaime's like, well, the situation is much uh, stranger now that Catelyn's dead and Sansa is a Lannister. Um, so things have yeah. changed, and she's like, that's bullshit, and you know it, and he deflects. Saying something about how, you know, you might as well be a Lannister. You really piss me off. Everybody's been pissing me off in my family. And 
you know, you've got the hair for it, if not the stature or whatever the fuck, uh, if not I the think, looks. I think this was his way of saying, like, that he likes her. You know, he's oh, like, 100%. He, says, he says, are you sure we're not related? And yeah. it's a weird, it's like, you hear that, and it's like. In the context of someone who's in an incestuous relationship, you go, well, that means she's on the table. Yeah. Um, and it's like just this, I don't know, I, I haven't really felt the, the icky feeling from Jamie, but now it's like, it's starting to, to come, you know, like that's, that's coming back mm. now. Like just the, the weird feeling, but like, yeah, it was just like, are you sure we're not related? Like what a, what a loaded line that is, you know, of like how just all the stuff that, Im, that implies. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, this, this scene from, from Sansa, I, I, I guess like coming up here, I, I really, I really liked the, the little meeting that Jamie and, and Brienne had. It, it was nice. Um, you know, Jamie, I just, I, I don't know. I wish his story kind of went somewhere else now, like now knowing, I don't know where it all ends up. Yeah, it's, and, just, it's just bizarre. It's that's the one thing where I'm like, there's a different way to wrap that up. I think, um, Hmm. Yeah, I just, I don't know, I, like, I don't know what, I guess, th- what I would change, necessarily. The like, ultimate redemption would... for Jamie is dying protecting the North from the, from the White Walkers. Yeah, that's, I think. that's fair. Not, yeah, not in, I guess that's a ways away, though. Yeah, I mean, like, what they do after that is what makes it hard to watch. You know, there's a celebration and then he sleeps with Brienne and it's like, Oh yeah, cool. He's going to be with Brienne. And then he just leaves Brienne and goes back South. And here's the thing. I would have rather them have had a thing that they kind of expressed the night before the battle of Winterfell, where he knighted her and stuff. And it was kind of like mutual love and admiration and respect. And then he dies and Brienne gets to mourn like she does anyway. Mm hmm. You know, like, uh, but she doesn't have to get heartbroken and left. The way they handle Brienne in that is also not good, you know, uh, because the way she reacts to him leaving, like sobbing in her fucking night clothes and like watching him ride away and stuff like. It's a bad ending for them. It's it's not good. Um, yeah, that is is a little strange. Could have died in Brienne's arms or something at the Battle of Winterfell. They were fighting side really by anything. side, back to back. I don't know. Yeah, it's, I don't know. Really, they could have done anything else. Um, I don't know why they just. I don't. That is just. Maybe they thought it and was. Cersei more would have died alone. Yeah, like which I mean, she like, deserved. What like what like how does it? I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. That is. I don't know. It seems like a massive things. oversight on the part of D and D. And uh, one of the reasons where I can understand everyone's perspective that they were only good with uh, uh, basis in books. Mm. Um, yeah. But regardless, um, amidst this praying and as she leaves the godswood, she is approached and followed by Dantos Hollard, who thanks her for convincing Joffrey to spare his life and gives her what he claims to be his mother's necklace as a token of gratitude. It's all he has left of her. Oh my God. I didn't even realize that this is the actual necklace. Yeah. Like this is like, Oh, Oh my God. This, well, my favorite line of the episode comes from here. Um, because I thought it was just so cute. 
um, and like, oh, what a moment. But wow, this is like, this is the little poison mm-hmm. vial necklace. Oh my God. Okay. Wow. I didn't even, I did not put that together until just now. Um, because yeah, claims to be his mother. I was like, wait a minute. Claims. I'm like, what does that mean? I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Hold yeah. on. Um, like, likely, likely got this from Littlefinger. Oh um, my God. Okay. Wow. Then my line doesn't even, it doesn't, oh. Because it's got a nice layered meeting. Yeah, I guess. Well, true. What it does, I actually. I no complaints. Yeah, no complaints. But, but like the moment was just. I thought this was an actual genuine moment uh, between Sansa and Sir Dantos here, um, because you know whenever she says like I'll wear it with pride, you know, and she gives him like a smile, and he looks back at it, you know, like it wakes him up, and he's like, oh, like wow, actually, actually, really great, and like that's I don't know. I chose yeah. the line just to bring like a nod to the scene as well because like it wasn't going to get my favorite scene at all but like wow i did not realize that this was the necklace right here well and there's a bunch of shitty layers to this where sir dantos was probably offered his freedom from westeros by littlefinger um if he delivered this necklace to sansa and then helped her escape after the death of king joffrey by giving Sansa this necklace, knowing she had it and that the vial of poison was taken from this and that she would be ushered from the ceremony, they are framing Sansa. So then you all, like, mm. you've got the fact that Littlefinger and Olena, who is also the other helping hand here, have agreed to frame Sansa to make it seem like neither of them had anything to do with Joffrey's death. Um, which doesn't matter because they try to they get her out of there anyway, which is good. Uh, mm-hmm. But like, it's just a bunch of stuff there where it's like, God damn, man, there's all sorts of fucked up shit going on wow. in King's Landing, huh? Yeah, that did not hit me at all. I thought this was just a really cute moment between a, a knight that became a fool and Sansa. Wow, holy crap! Yeah, yeah this is an important one, important moment there. Uh, very quickly develop that story of how they kill him next episode. Like, that's the only indication on rewatch that that's coming. Holy crap. Yeah, that's that's nuts. Because I even, I literally saw a clip on Twitter, or like somewhere, where it was like Joffrey's death. Like, come, like I don't know, I saw it like recently. And like, I saw like, um, the necklace on Sansa and like, Olena go over and, you know, kind of grab i don't know like whenever she grabs the little vial or whatever like during the time then i'm like oh yeah that, that is how it happened whatever and then i get to the scene and it just it flies out of my head because i'm like oh wow little fool guy yeah this guy was cool i feel bad for him yeah joffrey just ruined his life completely like um i was more focused on like how this one stupid decision by joffrey completely killed this guy's house you know, like, um, and that that's all I was focusing on was like, oh man, I just feel so bad for this guy. And like, oh wow. Like he actually like, let my, let my family's name live on for one more day. Right. And I'm like, wow, this is actually kind of cool here. This is dope. Uh, yeah. Just make sure Sansa gets this necklace, make up whatever story you got to make to give it to her, you know, to make sure yeah. she wears it, I guess. Make and, sure she keeps oh. it and holds it dear. Cause Sansa's such a sweetheart, you know, like she's so nice. That she would, she would do this, you know, like, and that's what, that's what, they, the way they take advantage of Sansa's niceness is part of what makes it like, ah, man, come on now. Uh, yeah, that's but, terrible. I'll, I'll still stick with it for my line, I guess, just to, 
I'll remember that now. I'll remember that I was so bamboozled. <laughs> Run amok, let astray. Yeah, but I don't know. It was it was nice. Like, man, she is just too innocent. Sansa's too. She's, she's so too nice. nice. She's so nice. But uh, that concludes it in King's Landing, and we head to the north for a scene where Egret and Tormund are standing outside a stone ravine. Uh, Tormund chides her for f- failing to finish the job for Jon Snow. Uh, insinuating that uh, if he lives, it's because she let him. And suddenly their scout signals that someone is approaching. Stir and a band of thens approach them through the ravine. Out of earshot, Tormund comments about, I hate thens. Uh, Stir says his party raided a village south of the ravine and gathered meat. He says the meat tastes so much better south of the wall. And chides Tormund for losing their warg as well as Jon Snow. He reminds Tormund how the Night's Watch are feasting and getting fat at Castle Black, and he ends the scene saying, Tormund, before you die, you have to taste crow. Then they yeah, show like, a human arm. Whoa. This is a dope, uh, like, it's a, it's a dark scene, but this is a dope scene. Yeah. Like, this is, like, uh, uh, I didn't really think, like, you know, United all these wildlings, they're all, they all said, like, there's different groups and they all hate each other, you know, whatever. And this is like a, a clear reason why, you know, that, that some people hate this group because they eat humans. They're cannibals. Uh, and, and like, you get the idea pretty quickly that they're cannibals, you know, before it shows the arm. You know, they're like, like, he's he's very focused on people getting fat. And he even calls them, like, fat and marbled or something yeah. like that, you know. And it's like, oh, what a, like, what a, just a word choice there. And when he said marbled, I was like, ugh. Okay. And, like, just the... The marks they had, like I don't know what a uh, introduction of this kind of tribe. Yeah, you know, no, this like- is it's a fantastic introduction. You know, I was talking about the character introductions earlier. Like this scene, you very quickly get the idea of who the Thens are and what they're about, and uh, impeccable kind of tension building, and then like a reveal that all happens within two minutes, where you're just kind of like. The first time I was watching, I feel like I was probably like, oh, God, these dudes are fucking nasty. And, like, I didn't appreciate how well the scene was done necessarily. You know, like, it's incredible dialogue, incredible performance work. Uh, and then, like, the camera work when it pans down as he squats and they show the arm. I'm like, damn, that was well done, man. Uh, as I assume the arm was. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> and even, uh, Egret you know, like kind of in her like pissed off state. We got the mention of uh of like, yeah, no, if you wanted him dead, he would yeah. have been dead, you know. And I don't know if if that is true, you know, that because that comes from Tormund, you know. Yeah. So I don't know how I settled on the uh I still like the idea that it was subconscious. Like she she wants to want to kill him but yeah. doesn't want to kill him, you know? Like uh oh, she's pissed. It, yeah. Like in that you know, she's just Making like so many arrows, like, are you planning on taking kill all, all of them yourself? Oh, yeah, he's like, oh my god, what is, what's up? Um, but yeah, no, it was a. When she puts the arrow to his throat, and he's like, too thin anyway, not enough meat on her bones. I was like, oh my god, or yeah, this, what a world they live in, you know. This a nice, not a nice reminder, but like a, a nice, not this way anymore, you know. I guess, but like just a. <laughs> Crazy to to think that yeah, oh yeah, this that's just a group that was north of the wall and, and now they're yep. 
they're they're south. They're doing their thing. They're, they're just marching, eating everyone in their path. Uh, yeah, 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 no good. But uh, we then head to the wall where at Castle Black, Jon Snow has survived the injuries inflicted by Egret and is largely recovered, though he still grimaces while getting dress, dressed, and he walks with a slight limp. And having been informed of Rob's death, John shares with Samwell how he'd always been jealous of Rob for having more of their father's affection and being better better than him at riding and fighting and with girls. The girls loved him. And I, I liked this kind of reflection where he's not like devastated. Yeah. You know, it kind of it kind of demonstrates the uh, separation there is between a bastard in this time and his siblings, mm. um, where, you know, he always he always loved Rob and he always respected Rob, but it was like, you know, it, Rob knew he was a Stark and that John wasn't, you know, and I'm assuming that even the best dude like Rob was when you're a kid. You're a little bit of a dick. Everyone's a little bit of a dick when they're a kid. Um, uh, if you're siblings, you like, I mean, you fight, you say, yeah. I don't know. It's like, but it's, it's not like, it doesn't stick with you like that. Like if, if it no. was, if it were someone else. So he, he just kind of reflects on him with like this, this admiration and respect more than yeah. anything. It's not like a true grief. It doesn't feel like, it's just kind of like, he was a good dude, man. He didn't, he didn't deserve that. I think uh, maybe part of it was, because like, it was very like, you see Sansa and how just devastated she is, you know, that's all she has to think about. And that's it is like, oh, my, well, I'm in Kingsland. I'm already a prisoner. Now I hear that like my fa- you know, my mother and, and brother are dead and mute, like the way they were killed was was discussed, you know, everything about it. She's that's all she can think about. But John, he hears the news and he's like, OK, well, obviously that sucks. Obviously, I'm affected by this. Also, I know that there's an army of 100,000 wildlings coming to the wall. And now I, I don't know if I'm going to live or be hanged. You know, mm. in the next day or whatever, he's he just has so much on his mind as well that right. he's like, well, I don't even really have time to grief right now. I gotta, I gotta, like, well, I gotta. There's, there's also the fact maybe he learned quite a bit from when Ned died. You know, he wanted to march south. He wanted to, he wanted to fight. He wanted to do all this stuff. Uh, and to speak to where you're, where you're speaking on, like Rob being killed by the Lannisters is small potatoes. Yeah, it, that's not a big deal. You know, like that's it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, it's like the no different houses, different conflicts, whatever that's happening south of the wall, none of it matters. Um, it and I guess like no one but John knows that, you know, like and he, I don't know, he makes it no, like this. This was, I'm pretty sure, my favorite scene, just him coming back to cast. Like, I really loved. Kit Harrington here, like I really feel like he hit hit his stride here, and he's he's really becoming Jon Snow, um, and and I don't. This was the other performance that I was I was going back and forth on um, from Pedro Pascal or Kit Harrington, um, but I I really love this scene and how he was. I don't know he he really made it like urgent and like made like his experience known to everyone there and like the little moment he had with sam you know even sam was like you know sometimes i i i get mad at you know i'm jealous of you you know you're all of these things that you just said about rob but to me you know i'm only better at reading than you you know it's like cute moment between him and sam but like 
when he actually talks to the the current, you know, count, I don't know what what they're called at Castle Black, the current like leaders, little, yeah, um, I don't know what they, you know, the high table or whatever the fuck. I mean, I, I was like, okay, I'm I'm in with John now. Yeah, you know, he 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 wrote me in on this episode. Um, no, it was it was damn good, man. And uh, hmm. we then uh, after this, we learned that Sam has been sent to retrieve John. Who's been summoned to testify before a panel of five sworn brothers, including Maester Aemon, Acting Lord Commander Alistair Thorne, First Builder Othel Yarwick, and the exiled former Lord Commander of the King's Landing City Watch, Jano Slint. Hmm. And uh, both Thorne and Slint are openly hostile to John, as uh, I'm assuming Janos, uh, he, he still fosters some sort of beef for uh, Ned Stark, as what he did to Ned Stark got him sent to the wall and therein he's got beef with Ned Stark and his descendants, I suppose. Uh, he's also just a straight up asshole. Uh, they don't believe much of what he says. And at the hearing, John admits to killing Quarren Halfhand, but that it was not murder. Rather, Quarren wanted John to kill him to give him credibility with the wildlings in order to get a spy and demands Raider's army. And Slint dismisses John as the bastard son of a traitor while Thorne, a friend of Quarren's, reacts with incredulity at uh, at John, and that he would presume to act like he knew Quarren. And John mm-hmm. responds by saying that Thorne should know that Quarren would have done anything to protect the Night's Watch. And uh, John then regards the wildlings as free folk, and Slint accuses him of going native to the extent that he even talks like them. And John snaps back, acknowledging that he talks like a wildling, and also admits that he lived amongst the wildlings and ate with them and climbed the wall with them. He then catches himself before admitting that he lay with one, but then admits it anyway. And mm. Slint's like, well, that's it. He's got to die, huh? Yep. He's like, oh, the rules are written. You must die. Thank you for saying that, you know. Like, yep. he was like, ah, well, our decision's made. And uh, <laughs> I love that Eamon's like, bro, if we... If we beheaded every man in the Night's Watch who laid with a woman, the wall would be manned by headless men. That might be the line, the actual line of the episode. That's a goodie, man. That's a real good one. Uh, And Thorne's like, yeah, but there's a difference here between sneaking off to Mole's town and sleeping with a a prostitute and sleeping with the enemy. Fair enough. I mean, fair point. You know, like, uh, I hate the dude. I hate everything you said so far. But, like... To I the mean, Night's Watch, there is a difference, I'm assuming. Yeah, this one, sort of fair, you know, like, uh, but it could just be, you know, oh, John was just very good at his spy job, you know, he had to, he had to do, do what he needed to yeah. do. You and know? John doesn't try to defend himself at this point, you know, he's not like, that's not fair, that's not, he just, he just goes, well, Mance Raider intends to attack the Night's Watch with 100,000 wildlings at his back, uh, and he gives intelligence on his plan of attack, and both Thorne and Slint disbelieve what John has to say, but Eamon realizes that John is speaking the truth. And the hearing ends with John being allowed to keep his head. Um, and Thorne's like, so what? You believe, you you know, every every time someone's telling the truth, how'd you gain this superpower? And he's like, I grew up in King's Landing. Damn. And like, knowing who he is as well and like what he gave like, all of this up and the it's like oh my god like thank like this it's just such a cool thing to watch on rewatch um and like that's his uncle who just saved his life you know yeah. 
yeah, like, we will not be taking your head today, Jon Snow, you know, and it's like, ah, you know, saving, saving your family, and, and if Eamon knows that or not, who knows, you know, if I, you, you think he's fully in the know? I um, don't, I don't. Uh, um, yeah. But I love how, what's the, the, the king, the guy that came from King's Landing, Slint, is it Slint? Janos Slint. Yeah, Slint, like, uh, how he was kind of like, uh, the hype man. He was kind of like, oh yeah, look, look at what he's saying. You know, John, like everything John would say, he'd kind of like repeat and be like, oh yeah, oh, oh well, you you talk like them now. But then whenever John was like, yeah, he has a, an army of a hundred thousand, um, and blah blah blah, he's like a hundred thousand, yeah, whatever. And he's like slowly getting, like, uh, it's not hitting as hard. And he's like, um, and even as the the giants working for or like fighting for him, yeah. he's like giants, and he's like, he looks over and he's like, oh, oh wait, this is. This is actually scary now. Like, wait a minute. Like, yeah, this like is, wait a second. Wait, if this is real. And then, it like, reminds me of the dude from Tick, Tick, Boom, who's on the stage with Stephen Sondheim, <laughs> who's like, a, who's yes. like, a, yes, we're saying the same thing, just in different ways. You know, he's, he's oh, like, that's same, a perfect same energy. analogy. Oh, same energy here. Analogy, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, Kid Harrington, fantastic mm. in this episode. Um, he did a wonderful job here. Really came like I know we've continued to say he's really coming into his own as Jon Snow, um, but he's he's looking the part. He's he's carrying himself in that role in a different way than I feel he has in previous seasons, and it's just it's firing on all cylinders now. Yeah, man. Even talking through it, I I still don't think I can give it to Kit Harrington. I think I have to go back to Pedro because that, that yeah. was the only one I was kind of. Kind of debating on was like if Kit Harrington got it, but man, Pedro just came in and did like John did well. You know, Kit Harrington did oh, yeah. really well, did really well here, but but Pedro had a lot more on his shoulders to introduce himself and and to do make all of his character personalities known and everything like that. So I think um, I'll, I'll go back and give it to Pedro for. for well, the it, it's as cool well. to see John in this context versus where he was in season three's premiere. Where he's presented to Tormund and Mance Raider and all of them, and he, mm. he has to convince them, you know, like I fight for mm-hmm. the side. I want to fight for the side that fights for the living. They're like, "Why should we believe you? What What do you mean by this?" And then to have him face off with the Night's Watch in a very similar context mm-hmm. just furthers the idea they're not that different. The only thing that separates them is a fucking wall, you know. Like it's just a. Uh, some yeah. ancient beef that just doesn't need to exist. Um, wow. But uh, we then head to the Riverlands, where Arya and the Hound are still traveling through the Riverlands on a single horse, and they pass by overturned carts and dead bodies, and Arya asks when she might be getting her own horse, complaining that the Hound reeks. <laughs> and uh, he he scoffs at the idea, noting that a horse is hard to come by, and that even if he gave, he would never give her a horse, uh, as she is the only thing of value he has since he didn't take anything when he left King's Landing. Mm. And Arya is like, "Well, I promise I won't do that." And also, what the fuck is wrong with you, you goddamn idiot? Why didn't you take anything when you left? And, yeah, uh, not very bright, are you? And he's like, I'm "Not a thief. I'm not a thief." He's like, you'll kill little boys, but you won't steal. And he's like, gotta have a code of some kind, you know? Uh, man's gotta have a code. Uh, which is hilarious. He's uh, already fucked he the does... king. Yeah. Like, like, he's he hates Joffrey's guts to the core. Like, mm. so I don't I don't know what the, I guess, 
He also steals stuff anyway, and we've seen that happen. Um, when he knocked the dude out and took his cart, um, yeah, that's right. We'll see him go to a little hovel, uh, the man and his daughter who he steals all the gold and silver from that they have. And then they return to that like a few seasons later and they see their skeletons. Like he took their, he took their money and left, you know, it's like (laughs) this, this one person to steal from. Should have been Joffrey. Yeah. Yeah. Should have. And I'm like, I don't know. I feel like he, he might just be lying to himself a little bit, trying to make himself feel better than he actually is. But I didn't actually think about that. He's like, Oh, I should have definitely stole from Joffrey before. I It's like, just doesn't want to seem like an idiot. Maybe to Arya. And he's like, no, I did it for honor honor is what I did. I'm not a thief, but, but, uh, the hound does remind her that she still has an aunt in the veil to whom he plans to ransom her too. And the two eventually come upon a tavern, both hungry. Arya suggests that they attack the men there, to which the Hound expresses reluctance. As there are five of them, they're immensely outnumbered. And just then, two men exit to relieve themselves of their piss. And Arya recognizes one of them as Polliver, the Lannister man-at-arms who had previously taken Needle and killed her friend Lamy. Mm -hmm. She also notices that Polliver still has Needle and is like, well... Sorry, Sandor, I'm uh, I'm going to go do this deed. We're getting into this one way or another. And the hound chases after her, stopping her at the tavern's door. Uh, But they are seen, and they have to go in anyway to maintain some sort of cover. And it is clear that Polliver and the other men are making trouble and intend to uh, sexually assault the innkeeper's daughter. And Arya and the hound go to a table far away from everyone else, but Polliver still recognizes the hound as I expect most people would mm-hmm. in Westeros. Pretty recognizable figure, the Hound. Um, and he goes ahead and walks over to their table and strikes up a conversation. Uh, he does not recognize Arya, although Arya had thought that uh, he did. She reaches for the Hound's sword, ready to steal, ready to steal his knife again, mm. uh, if she needs to. And, uh, but... He just goes and talks to the Hound, where he thinks Arya is the Hound's latest sexual conquest. Um, <laughs> Man, you gotta be just... you gotta be a special kind of sick fuck to assume that this I don't know twelve thirteen year old girl is someone's sexual conquest. You're like, well, I mean, this is the only thing that makes sense to me. Like they, this scene was done so well to make this is, you this is the scene yeah yeah I, there's no doubt like about it like i, I was like okay is, is it john returning to castle black is it the opening with Oberyn? um you know what, what could it be like no this once they enter this tavern i mean you get the backstory like the story of like what people are doing in joffrey's name you know they're like mm-hmm. they're like yeah it's it's the the king's justice or whatever that they're they're doing this for they're 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 like that's their excuse for what they're doing and like it it doesn't even seem wrong to them you Mm -hmm. know it's like it's like obviously i hate this guy and like every bone in my body i i I want this guy dead and like i know he's going to die um but i'm like at the same time it's like is it really his fault you know or is is it just is it like joff is it's just what joffrey a lot you know like is allowing not directly allowing to happen but like 
encourages almost. Yeah. yeah. No, and, I get I get where I get where you're coming from. I will say that I don't think this is necessarily Lannister specific and therein I do think it is more on these men's shoulders. There I cuz I have no doubt in my mind that there are honorable men within the ranks of Lannister soldiers. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I don't yeah. think all of them just give in and do whatever the fuck they want just because That's they're true. like, "Well, Joffrey's the king." You know, you do you do have to have an inkling of a piece of shit inside of you to go ahead and do things like this. Um cuz I mean the the terror they saw on the ride up, uh, yeah, and didn't look like, like people fought at all. It looked like no. they slaughtered a bunch of people just because they felt like it. Yeah, um, and they're like, there's no fun in it anymore. They're like, they've done it so much mm. that it's not even fun for the. It's like, like on the mountain, your brother, man, you know, just torture, 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 and it's just getting boring, man. It's taking all the fun out of it, and. uh He's like, and the hound's just kind of like, all right, man, Jesus Christ. And Oliver says that he and his men wear the king's colors. We can do whatever we want, man. This is our, this is our place. You want to ride with us? Come with us. We can do whatever the fuck we want. We'll do, we'll, we'll pillage and everything. It'll be great. And the hound leans forward and states emphatically, fuck the king. And Arya's smile at this. This is the first time Arya's like, oh, okay, you know what? I kind of fuck with you, you know. <laughs> she, it's the first time she's like, "All right, you know what? You kind of my dog, bro. Like mm-hmm. that's uh, that's kind of hard." Uh, he goes, "Fuck the king," and the mm-hmm. conversation then becomes quite tense and turns into a standoff. They eventually draw their swords, and at first, the hound fights all five of them alone, handling himself rather well. And Arya stands in the corner, but he, uh, after dispatching a couple of them and fighting off the rest, stabbing one in the 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 groin area another however gets him to the ground holding a dagger to his throat and the hound is able to fight him off stabbing him repeatedly in the head with his own dagger whoa uh, like yeah. a reminder of how gruesome the show can get you know <laughs> sometimes because like i was i was watching and you know i know not to eat during game of thrones now you know yeah. I, I don't i don't snack and, and everything and i'm like okay I think I was eating like some goldfish or something at the time. Like, uh, and then like when he gets in the tavern here, I'm like, you know, maybe I put the, maybe, I don't know. I, I know it's about to go down here. Like, I don't know what, you know, but I, I'd imagine there's probably some gruesome death. And then like, you see like the screams that this guy like lets out yeah. too. And like they focus on it. And it's like, I was like, oh my God. It's bad. Like, holy <laughs> shit, dude. Like, yeah, this show. They, man, I just, I forgot how, how gruesome it can get at some points. Um, but uh, this scene really elevates when Arya joins the fray, uh, smashing oh. a pot over the head of one of the men and stabbing him with his own longsword uh, with a smile on her face all the while. Um, yeah, just very, like, slow, you know, deliberate. yeah, just like, oh my gosh. Yeah, uh, and, like, smile, yeah, the smile she has on her face, too. Like, yeah, man, she's, she's oh. in it now. She's like, fuck yeah. This is how this is what I'm gonna do. This is my life now. Uh, mm-hmm. And she then uh, slashes Poliver's legs from behind, causing him to fall to the ground. And she then recites the exact words Poliver stated to both her, Lamy, and her friends. Uh, she says, "You know, uh, your legs work, boy. Mm. What? Do I need to carry you?" And Arya's hey. like, and the dude's like, "What the fuck are you talking about, dude?" And she goes, "She picks up needle. Fine, little blade." 
maybe I'll pick my teeth with it. And it's at that point when Polliver goes, oh, fuck, I see now. And Arya then kills Polliver in the same way he killed Lamy by driving needles slowly into his throat. And Arya and the Hound then leave the tower, the tavern, taking with them a horse for Arya and the chickens the Hound had requested. Is this the first actual kill from Arya? Like, was Polliver on her list or no? Yes, Polliver was okay. on the list. Okay, so this is like the actual first it's the first name she can check off. Check yes. off, which is nice. I put Polliver and then the just random asshole. As yeah, well, ran, you know, yeah random Lannister soldier. Yeah. Um, there, yeah. Um, which is which is nice. But but Paul, nice to have her first official check mark on her list um, here. Apparently, his name is. Uh, oh no, one of them was Lowell. Uh, that's the gentleman who got stabbed in the face several times. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure the guy who got stabbed in the groin as well was the guy that, like, he looked back and he was like, yeah, he likes him broken in after, like, yeah. talking about Arya or whatever, and it was nice just to, to have that little, yeah. you know. Little... Stab him in the balls, man. Oh, yeah, that was just to hear, like, him, like, screaming and, like, oh, like, just, like, him take, like, you just hear all like, That's a tub! Then <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, like, this show is is insane. We get, like super emotional moments with like Sansa and stuff like that and then you have like this where the hound can just go off and kill five people Sansa or Arya kills two and like you're just like thank like yes thank thank god these guys are dead now and mm. uh, and yeah I mean like you got to think the 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 in people here were were like like looking at the hound and Arya as heroes they're like thank god like oh my god yeah. like I could not have asked for you guys to show up at a better time um and cuz I mean, we we see the the path, you know. After the like, these guys were on a tear. Terror. Like it, it was just bad. Like, and they didn't see it as bad. Like they were just like, yeah, we're just we're doing our thing. We're like living for us. We're and it's yeah. like, <laughs> like it's crazy how he was just like, yeah, this this is just what we do, you know. And they even sometimes. You know, more daughters, they keep their, more daughters are hidden in yeah. silver and gold that you can find. He's, like, just speaking of it as, a, like, if it's nothing, it's like, oh, this dude has just lost his humanity completely. Like, Yeah, this is, that, uh, this is that Tarantino-ass shit where they present you the uh, the most terrible human beings yeah. possible, where they're like, um, oh, this guy better fucking die, and then they kill yeah. them in the most brutal way possible to try and, like, make you be okay with that. And you're already going to be okay with it. You know, it's Game of Thrones, you're... It's a oh, different, yeah. it's a different place, but like a that Tarantino thing where he makes you just despise someone, and then uh, they do a bunch of terrible things to kill them is super satisfying. Mm. Um, but uh, that concludes the story in the Riverlands, and we head to our oh uh, sorry, our final location in Slaver's Bay, mm. where mm -hmm. uh, Daenerys Targaryen sits near the sea with her three dragons, each one about the size of a small horse now, much larger than previously seen mm -hmm. and Daenerys strokes a little tennis ball on a stick's head <laughs> um oh yeah <laughs> strokes Drogon's head while Ray I, I will say these visual effects are incredible the the Drogon looks they stand up well yeah like, they yeah. look really good uh Drogon Rhaegal and Viserion all look incredible and they uh they fight over a dead lamb and uh as Daenerys tries to calm Drogon down without warning, Drogon snaps at her with a hiss. A, uh, like, you better back the fuck off, I'm trying to eat. 
Um, mm-hmm. Don't mess with the dragon's food. Yeah, that's that's uh, nope. nope. Even if you are the mother, that's I don't know. I'm not I'm not messing with that. Yeah, this uh, this single act that her own children would threaten her and that they are outgrowing her influence leaves Daenerys shaken, to say the least. And uh, Jorah Mormont then approaches and tells her that dragons can never be tamed, not even by their mother. And uh, after this, Daenerys returns to her unsullied army to resume the march to Marine. And she notices Grey Worm and Dario Naharis are absent and sets out to find them after being told they are gambling. And this, like, aerial shot of the army, she had to walk, like, a mile to get to them and be and still be pissed when she finds them. It's, do you know how mad you have to be to walk for 15 minutes and still be mad when you get there? It's kind of yeah. hilarious. Um, <laughs> like... She she had no idea what they were doing, you know, just mm. gambling. And, like, she's like, okay, I, I can't have that, you know, no. whatever. I, and, like, I mean, she's just she's marching through her whole arm. Like, it, I don't yeah. know, what a badass. Like, they, every every shot that she is in, she is made to seem badass. And, like, even yeah. her. It's epic. Her, yeah, her, her conquest is, like, plain yeah. to see. Yeah, and, like, even at the beginning, like, when Jorah comes up and, like, walks and just kind of looks at her for a moment, you know, with her dragons flying and, like, Drogon's there, he just kind of looks at her like, oh, my God, like, wow. Like, I, I am on this, in, you know, fighting for you. Like, you are my, like, queen. Like, I don't know, that, it is nuts. But then, yeah, just, she gets there and they're just sitting, you know, like, how, how, how she's probably even more pissed that they're just, like, it's just a little thing between the two of them, you know, I don't know, like, um, I don't know what I expected from gambling. You know, I, I was like, I forgot what what they were doing, but I, I it wasn't it wasn't like a little competition between themselves. That's not what I was thinking. Um, but yeah, she definitely had to be way more pissed after that whole walk. And then yeah, right to find them just sitting there with blades balancing on their arms. Uh, and she she gives them shit. You know, she's like, uh, "What are you guys fucking doing?" And uh, they're like, oh, "Well, you know." We're we're competing to see who will ride ride at your side. And she goes, well, Sir Jorah and Sir Barristan will be riding at my side, as they did not keep me waiting all morning. And <laughs> yeah. she orders the two men to ride at the back of the army with the livestock. And it's funny watching Grey Worm, because you can tell Grey Worm is like, damn it, man, I didn't even really want to do this. He just challenged me, and I felt the need to compete. D- Dario's a bad influence. He started it, you know, that sort of vibe. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And... uh Daenerys also adds that the last man holding his sword <laughs> shall find a new queen to fight for, and both men immediately drop their weapons. Hmm. And uh, <laughs> wonderful scene. And we we finally get a little bit more out of uh, Jacob Anderson as Grey Worm, which I uh, I really appreciated. He's a uh, he he does really well in this role, and I don't think he gets enough credit because he is very stoic a lot of the time, hmm. you know. And uh, I I really like him. Uh, yeah, I also Knows. think that. Uh, because Dario says something to him about, like, you like her, it's obvious, you know, mm. and he snaps back, like, you're not a very smart man, Dario Naharis, or, you know, yeah. just a simple you're not simple a very line smart there. man, Dario Naharis. Yeah. He's, uh, and, he's like, well, I'd rather be a man with no brain and two balls. Um, yeah, I don't know, I love the, the power rankings, like, in Game of Thrones. Like, they always, you know, like, who's better with the sword, you know, they always, like, like Jamie, and he's like, yeah, now it's more of a challenge with my left hand, you know, like the let, like building up the legend of like they're fighting. But this is like Grey Worm and Dario, like two guild warriors who can, who can outlet someone who's training like this their whole life for a, or an absolute mad lad of Dar, you know, just a, just 
peak man. man. Yeah, just, I don't know, peak human of Dario. Like, uh, I just love all these little, like, competitions that are inside the show that don't matter whatsoever. But it's no. like, it just builds to the fantasy and builds, you know, keeps you in the oh, show incredible. a little more. It's incredible. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I, I really, really enjoy that. I think that uh, it's cool that Dario calls him Sir Worm. Oh, that, uh, oh, I missed that. Yeah, yeah. He, he introduces him as Sir Worm, uh, which, I mean, like, he's a knight now. I think he's he's been knighted in Daenerys' order, so he calls him Sir Worm, which is kind of funny. Um, but uh, on the road to Marine, Daenerys speaks with Masande, who tells her queen that uh, Marine would be wise to fear her approach. And D- Dario meets them on a cliffside, and Daenerys expresses her annoyance when he shows her flowers he has picked. He reveals that the flowers represent a portrait of the landscape and serve various purposes, mm. chiefly that knowing her surroundings is important to Daenerys' strategy. This is the first scene where, uh, you know, the new Dario gets to, like, shine, I think. Um, mm. And I still don't like him as much as Ed Skrine. Um, so he's a good actor. He's yeah. fine. He doesn't carry the same confidence the last Dario Naharis had, though. He he almost seems like he's taking a shot in the dark, whereas the previous Dario would have approached this like it was a sure thing. Yeah, like it's like oh, a yeah. Yeah, man, you know what it is. Uh, and this guy's like, I don't know, maybe. Um, yeah, Daenerys like collapsed back a couple of times. She's like, Oh, do you want to walk at the end of the line? And then he's like, You want to without shoes? You know, she's like. Like, he keeps testing it, and Daenerys is, is like, okay, like, obviously not working, but, like, I feel like the older Dario would have just been, like, I don't know, more smooth. I would for you. Smooth, you know? Yeah, like, smoother. I don't know, he would have said something. Oh, that, that's pretty good. Yeah, like, yeah, no, like, it's just, a, it's just a, di- like, it's just a different ball game, you know? And, uh, I think there's also the idea that they could be demonstrating a change in character for Dario, the sort of, like, evolution into being a little bit less, uh, on his game when he's in the presence of Daenerys. Like it's, it's sort of like a presence that he's never experienced before. Um, and therein this guy gets shafted with that task. Like uh, all of a sudden he seems like a new guy, not, not a brand new guy, but like he's evolved a little bit into something new. And, uh, Hmm. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to come in after a recast for a very memorable character still got the game though i mean oh yeah you know you give a woman flowers that's already you know you're doing that's still well, a like, fine looking man too the but... way he yeah and the way he explains each flower you know like it's mm-hmm. not just like he's giving her some flowers he's like this one you know is it, that's this is what this one does this one very beautiful but but deadly poisonous you know like he's knowledgeable about them too and like you see daenerys like actually start to be like oh maybe this you know strategy actually means something you know but then it's also right. like okay you know you, your game's working dario you know it's like <laughs> the strat you know your the strategy makes sense but also all right you're kind of doing it for me yeah um, michael michael huisman you know i i think uh i i do like ed scrine more as dario but he doesn't do a bad job he's a he's a he's a stand-up actor and uh he does he does very well but uh nevertheless the marching army halts Daenerys goes to the forefront, discovering a slave child crucified upon a cross. The uh, child is dead, her hand pointing the way to Marine. And Sir Jorah tells Daenerys there is one for each mile marker to Marine. 
She asks how many miles there are to Marine, and he states 163. And Sir Barristan offers to have Outriders go ahead and bury them so that she doesn't have to see it. But Daenerys refuses, ordering that each of them be buried and their collars removed, but not before she has looked upon each and every face. And thus, we conclude this episode. Yeah, she's she's on her way. You know, she. I, I'm pretty sure she gets to Marine. Let's see. I'm pulling up the map here. Probably next episode. Um, she's on her way, and then episode three. I guess maybe she's just not in next episode. I, there is a very good um, chance but, we spend a lot of time in King's Landing next week. Yeah, that's oh fair, not true. Yeah, but episode three, Breaker of Chains. That's that's what that one is. So that that makes sense that we check in with her there. Um. But man, I just I don't know. I love I love keeping up with Daenerys and every I don't know, her her story is is very conquest like and I, I don't know how I haven't picked up on that before, but like now just seeing like like how they talk about Rhaegar. You know, well some people talk about Rhaegar very poorly and like they you know, they mm. whatever. But like I guess the actual guy that Ray I, I is Ray like Rhaegar is actually a good guy, right? Like I like yes. did he he was okay. a stand-up man, and Oberyn kind of like there's there's that part earlier in the episode yeah. when Oberyn's talking to Tyrion, and he's like a Rhaegar, this this genuine prince, the best the best man in all the lands, et cetera, et cetera. And he left her for another woman, and it started mm-hmm. a war. And they're mm-hmm. like, they never state state who the woman is or anything like that. And it's like ah, it's it's, it's interesting, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it, I, I like the like we're seeing how people would look at Rhaegar whenever he was going through his conquest, but we're seeing it like with Daenerys and everything that she's doing. You know, like Rhaegar would would sing and would I don't know he just would do everything you know sort mm. of thing. But then every time we see Daenerys, she's always I don't want to say like above everyone else, you know, because that just seems wrong and very. She's just, she's just more regal. Like, she's queenly. She stands out. Yeah, and and not like, not in a bad like. She doesn't use that like for wrong. You know, it's always mm-hmm. like, um, you will do no such thing. I will see all of their faces while right. we go. You know, like it's like, oh my god, you really are. You know, you are queen. Like, yeah, like, you like okay, like you like. They they think they're doing the right thing for her by saying, yeah, we'll go ahead. We'll bury all these children. You don't need to see this. But then, like, she instantly claps back and is like, no. Like, n- you won't do that. And it's, I don't know, it's, I really, really like her story. Um, and just that, that kind of aspect of it. Like, feeling like, like, I would want to fight for Daenerys, you know. Like, I... I hope I would be like the Dario Naharis. Like that—that's my ultimate goal—is to be like Dario Naharis for Daenerys. Um, but, but yeah. Um, Sorry, my dogs good. are going fucking nuts oh. upstairs. I can barely—I I can barely <laughs> hear you over the sound of them. It's—it's uh, it's, they were—they were barking up a storm. But uh, maybe the bird. No, has yeah. Yeah, right. Daenerys. Uh, Daenerys is a hell of a woman, hell of a woman, and uh, mm. she's about to only become even more prominent. I looked ahead to next episode. She is not in next oh, episode. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. As we hit uh, Dragonstone to catch up with Stannis, we hit the Dreadfort to catch up with Ramsay and Reek, and we head to Beyond the Wall to catch up with Bran. So mm. everything we didn't hit this week, we hit next week along with King's Landing. Um, Here we go. 
Yeah. So uh, I think that leaves us with nothing but a rating for this bad boy. I think we're there. Aren't we? We're getting rid of genre this season, didn't we say? Yes, Um, we are. We're going to get rid of genre and we're going to do the same weight we do for the director spotlight with a an emphasis on the critical rating mm -hmm. versus the enjoyment rating. I like. You know, I think that's that's definitely fair because this would this would be another easy ten for the genre. You know, for if we're going there, so. I don't um, think that would stop for a while. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Don't believe so. But all right, let's. Uh, I mean, as a premiere, I don't know. I think this one, we were just. It, it felt so stacked to me, and like checking in with everyone, I was like, oh, like it felt like every scene was getting better and better as the episode went on, and like I was just like, oh my god, like what a, what a way to kick off the season, you know of of. I, I I knew the season was good, but this really let me know that I'm in I'm in for a really good season. Um and I don't know, I think this is it's probably my favorite premiere of a season. Oh yeah. This is the best season premiere so far, um, I think. And I mean I'm floor enjoyment, I'm like nine, nine five, like maybe like I, I think nine five is more I think where I'm like kinda sitting. Um because every like even the the small scenes like um the the wildlings like in the cannibals like such a small scene but it was done just so well and like builds the mm. threat of them even more and then everything that happened in King's Landing like it was just I don't know I, I feel like everything was just done so well I was so into the episode the whole time um and and so yeah I'm 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 pretty high on this one uh, for yeah. me. Enjoyment-wise, I'm going to, let's see, what have we given previous season premieres? We gave episode one of season three an 8.75. Season two, we gave a nine. And one and, an 8.5. All right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'd be I'd be comfortable going every bit of 9.25 as the floor here. Okay, yep. I think that I'm, I'm either at 9.25 or 9.5. I don't think that that's kind of where I am. I think 9.75 or 10. I'm not at a 10. Uh but but I think like nine two five or nine five is where I'm sitting. Yeah. All right, then uh, I say say we round down a little bit. I say we go nine two five. There's room to grow. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of great episodes this season, you know. So uh, I can and this is that. just the beginning. Um, mm. And then critically, this is a pretty good episode. It's a uh, it's well written. It's pretty well shot. You know, I don't think it's as visually mm-hmm. pretty as other episodes have been, but it is very well edited and uh generally well directed mm-hmm. uh, so i end up coming down at about a- around an eight five eight seven five nothing crazy but nothing to yeah. scoff at you know like it was it they, i feel like they needed to do a, to do a whole lot like with just opening the season and stuff and and you're right like the the visuals weren't as you know high as they usually are or like the they weren't as as high as they can go. Like we, yeah. I know that they can do better. Um, and so, yeah, I think there, there is some, some room to grow here, but, but not, not that much. I think I was, I was around eight, seven, five, uh, for me or like, um, I can, I can get behind that. I can get behind yeah. that for sure. So, I mean, if we do give it that, that, that averages it out to an 8.92. So 89%. Um, right. and, and I think, you know, that's, I think the the ratings will probably look a little lower, uh, just because we're getting rid of yeah. the surefire ten. They don't have a surefire ten. In them. We um, might have to go back and remove that from other episodes and go ahead and yeah. 
<laughs> True. Reweight yeah, them. Um, but that, let's see, I guess if I can, I might be able to do that real quick. Um, but yeah, this, I mean, just an incredible way to open up the season. Um, and yeah, like definitely still room to grow, which is insane that there is still room to grow. And right. like, I like, but, but I was, I don't know. I, I really liked the opening of the season and that, that, wow, if we apply the, uh, that ties it with, uh, season threes. Um, premiere actually with the new rating system getting rid of that and then let's see if I do this is it going to mess everything up I don't think so yep that did it right okay so yeah all those are are updated now for season 3 because every episode in season 3 was given a 10 in genre but in 2 we did still have some 9's and and 8's and so on Mm -hmm. so um, but but as far as season 3 goes that puts it on the same level as the finale um, the premiere, and that looks like, yeah, that's about it. Um, but yeah, so I, I think I'm, I think I, I do, I, I like that. I think um, I do too. I think I, I do think too. Sense. So, okay, there we go. I like the new rating system. I like how. I do too. I think it, I think it captures it a little bit more accurately. Yeah. If I do say so myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so at an 89% on the old Penny Bloom, uh, tomato meter. Mm-hmm. Uh, 89% for the season four premiere. And we've begun another season, man, four seasons in now. And, uh, mm-hmm. no, no signs of stopping anytime soon has been a great pleasure. And we've got a bunch of stuff going on here on the Penny Bloom podcast. At the moment, we are doing our director's spotlight on Wednesdays and Fridays. We've got Wes Anderson in that spotlight. We've got four movies down. We've discussed, uh, the Royal Tenenbaums, the Life Aquatic, the Darjeeling Limited, and Fantastic Mr. Fox. And this week, we've got Moonrise Kingdom and the Grand Budapest Hotel coming out on Wednesday and Friday. We're all doing, we're doing this all in anticipation of Asteroid City, uh, coming out June 16th. And our podcast will be coming out June 27th or 8th. I can't remember what the Wednesday is. Um, 28th. But yeah, so, uh, we got, we got some big plans for Wes Anderson and I'm very excited for you to hear that. We will be back next week with one of the best episodes of this show, season four, episode two. Um, yeah, very, very head on IMDb. That. This uh, episode was given a nine and then the next episode was given a 9.7. Now I don't know if that's just, uh, you know, people, people like the events. Yeah. I uh, think that's probably more of what that rating is, but the lion in the rose has one of the best deaths in all of thrones. So uh, mm-hmm. everyone, everyone's happy. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, if you would head to patreon.com slash penny bloom pod, where you'll find over 50 hours of exclusive content, including all sorts of written reviews, comic book reviews, book reviews, movie reviews, and the like. Uh, for $3 a month, you can support this podcast financially, which is huge because it costs me money. And I don't make any off of it unless it's over there. So that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, head to Twitter, follow at Penny Bloom Pod, follow on Instagram at Penny Bloom Podcast. And remember to leave a five-star rate and review wherever you might be listening. Remember to download also. That helps immensely. Um, with that, I was Colton Robertson, and I was joined by Joseph George. Thank you very much, homie. Oh, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here. Oh, and it's always a pleasure to have you. And remember, peace, love, and bloom. And tell your father I'm here. And tell him the Lannisters aren't the only ones who pay their debts.